So uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I've been, of course, browsing your uh, articles on Lou Rockwell, and uh, I think that they're ferociously wonderful. And <laughs> I really you. appreciate the writing skill that you bring to bear. You have quite a way. You wield uh, the words like a, 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 a sort of sword-wielding flaming samurai. And uh, <laughs> that is uh, something I really, really appreciate. So oh. just before we get to the sort of main topics, though, mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated by how people come about this benevolent brain virus called libertarianism or, you know, I don't want to put your thoughts in a box, but where this arose from you, because based on my cursory view of your background, it wouldn't seem to be the obvious development for you. So what do you think uh, brought you into this realm? Well, um, my, both my parents were um, uh, Gold, Goldwater Republicans. That's, that's what they were. And um, so when I was a kid, like, you know, 14 or 13, that kind of age, you know, this, when I was 14, Nixon stepped down and they defended Nixon. They liked Nixon. But then after that, they, they really complained a lot about government. So I got to hear a lot of like government does too much and, you know, anti-socialism. So, and I agreed with it. I didn't really disagree with it. They loved Reagan. And uh, by that time I was already in the military and all my, my, me and my two brothers both went into the military. That was something that was kind of a, a family thing to do. It was always talked of. And I remember, you know, Cold War. So it was like this clear, uh, you know, the, the words weren't as, as, as corrupted, I think. I mean, they were, but it seemed like we were fighting for freedom against communists. You know, that's that was an easy sell, I think, to someone like myself who really didn't study history at that time. So um, in the first 10 years of, the, of my military service uh, was were 10 years. That was the last 10 years of the Cold War. So it, it seemed to make sense. Um, of course, we predicted and the people in the military predicted, you know, it's it's not going to end. And if it does, it'll end in a war. And of course, how it ended was in a, uh, you know, a collapse uh, of the state, which which made sense economically. And I was starting to get interested in those things. So I thought, well, you know, this this actually could work. And, you know, Reagan, uh, for all of his growth of government, his monstrosities, his words, um, he, he also he predicted in some ways that it would kind of collapse. That it was unsustainable. To use that to use that word that has a couple of different meanings, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> sustainability. But um, anyway, so my expectations again, naive. This was halfway through my military service, and, and meanwhile, I was married, had had four kids, so I'm kind of dependent on my job. You know, I'm having fun, kind of. Um, I'm halfway through my my 20 year career, and I'm expecting as the Soviet Union uh, collapsed that NATO would would stand down. I mean, that it would that it sure. evaporate because it you know it, it's clear uh, reason for being was the Warsaw Pact, and they had they had gone away very publicly. Right. So it's like no Nazis, check. That's no right. local communists, check. Right. No Chinese communists, heck of a long way away, check. Yeah. So right. But they, uh, they should have had a sigh of relief. We won. Uh, let's go back to peace and productivity, whatever. But of course, it didn't. It grew. It expanded, and it sought new members and new missions. And that was really, I I really. Um, well, you know what it is, is when you find when you see that when you expect something and then the opposite happens or something different happens, you that's that's when you go back and you say, well, what, what is with my assumptions here? Because um, because I, I got that wrong. And uh, so, you know, I'm kind of, you know, questioning at that point what what really we Americans uh, on American foreign policy and uh, the, the so-called free world policy was. Um, and meanwhile, I'm continuing my education. So I am getting to read a little more history of, little shortly time after that, maybe early 90s, I discovered, mid-90s, I guess I discovered Lou Rockwell. So then my education really uh, got started. And meanwhile, I'm also working in uh, 
or had just come out of working in acquisitions, military acquisitions, Air Force acquisitions. And we were buying stuff to fight the Cold War with. But this was like several you know, years after the Cold War ended. And we were spending, I mean, the, the I, I mean. Well, you, you know, you never know. It, it could just have been a massive ruse on the part of the Russians. They could have, they could have just pretended to collapse and give up Eastern Europe. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big trap. You know, it's important to be, be prepared for those kinds of events. That's right. Well, actually, you, you know, you, it sounds funny when you say it, but um, I'm sure a lot of military people believe that. And, and but they spent the, the obscene amount of money, the obscene amount of waste, the racket, the, the absolute racket between uh, that exists with the the, uh, the companies, the major companies uh, selling uh, goods and services both to the military. And this was before, uh, uh, really, before we we outsourced even more things. I mean, nowadays we outsource. You know, we've got Halliburton serving up the, you know, the ice cream and everything. And so their their hands are in every bit of this. And it, and the waste that's built in, that's contracted in, it's by design. Um, the nature of the the lack of competitiveness. I mean, it, it it's appalling from just a. Uh, if you're a good government person, which I'm no longer that anymore, but it, at some point I went through that. Well, if we could only do government better, you know, it right, would be right. efficient. And and uh, if you were that person, you you would just be sick to your stomach. And of course, it's it's not for that. They don't want to have good government. They they want this is a money making deal. So I came to kind of see that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's only waste if you think there should be savings, and the people who are cashing in on that stuff that's right. never this think is, there should be savings. No, they, this is this is a very profitable. It's a very rewarding and very not hard work. I mean, this is easy work. Um, for I mean, seriously, this is not. These people are not. I was not working hard. I was working long hours, but I was not working hard, and I was producing nothing. And and I saw no one around me producing anything, uh, even the contract the contractor guys. You know, I mean, the, it's it was you know, kind of, kind of eye-opening there. And then I worked, uh, well, I, I went back to my, had assignment in Europe and I, I got to see, uh, uh, how NATO kind of did very much the similar things. And then by this time we're, it was, uh, uh, Clinton was doing his thing in the Balkans. So there was a so-called pseudo, uh, war, you know, operation. And again, you know, the world's first humanitarian war. So they sold it. And again, you know, the hypocrisy, the lies, the the uh, money making, the racket, it was becoming more and more clear to me. Then I worked at NSA and I got a little taste of uh, how we backdoor everything and, and all of the commercial uh, IT equipment in major companies. Um, you know, how we work secretly, which seems to be and I'm not, you know, I mean, we, we build I mean, it, it's it's like the state was integrated with business, which is not how my Goldwater Republican upbringing led me to expect. You know, I certainly knew it wasn't right, but I but I didn't think we had that. You know, I thought that was something we would guard against, not something that we would, you know, uh, realize and, and, and act as normal. So there was that. And then, so that kind of prepared me. Meanwhile, you know, reading Lou Rockwell, um, finally. Uh, and it seems like, God, I must be really stupid to have taken this long <laughs> to figure it out. But again, I, I have, you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I thought about getting out numerous times. And uh, it was in many ways an economic and family decision uh, not to do it because I was the breadwinner. And so if I just decided to, you know, quit and do something different, they wasn't just me. So I have those same pressures that, that everybody has when they have to make a decision like that. Well, and, and four kids is not a small nest to be feeding yeah, rooms into, so... Yeah, it's true. It's true. Now, now you know when they're little, I think you can get away with it too. They're easy to. They don't. They never know if they're poor or not. But um, <laughs> but once they get to be about ten or eleven, you know, then it becomes something where they have an opinion about it. You know, and they like how things are. Anyway, not that we were rich, but seriously, I will say this, and anybody listening must know it anyway. In fact, the polls tell us this: the government people are well paid, 
extremely well paid for. And and if you actually look at their productivity, they're obscenely well paid because, you know, they don't they don't really do anything. Um, well, and combine that with the soft benefits like uh, oh, yeah. lower job losses and uh, all of the benefits. That's right, and so and, and yeah. very difficult to be fired. I mean, it's job security, not just in terms of all the the niceties, the insurances, and everything, but um, it, it, you you have to pretty much commit a violent crime to um, against and be caught and and, and it be in the media and do, against, <laughs> and do it against somebody that the state likes. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, we commit lots of violent crimes, but they, they cheer those on. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, there's a lot of uh, superficial benefits. So, I'm, so I'm still doing that, and I. Uh, and sorry, don't, if you don't mind me interrupting, just to sort of a relatively new dad. I mean, how did your how did your kids handle them? Because moving around is the big challenge for kids in the military. Is that well, uh, when they're little? Is that fair to say. Yeah, it's. I had them a, a pretty close uh, secession. So um, the last couple of moves, and my retirement move was probably the worst one for them because, um, well, the the best and the worst. Um, the best because it exposed them to a better life, but um, uh, but they were of the age where I think I had one one had to change high school, and that was mm, you know he kind of went yeah, he he's he's doing fine now, but you know you know when you got four, some of them are not going to do as well as others. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Everybody's right. a little bit different, but they're all doing fine. But yes, they there were complaints. There were complaints, and you have to uh, deal with that. The the military, I'm diverging a little bit here, but you know they they sell themselves and they sell uh, their supporters and, and potential recruits. You know, on this idea that it, you know there's this great military community, and um, they do provide uh, uh, well an insular kind of. Uh, lifestyle, especially overseas. And that, that we also, my husband and I also found that to be um, uh, corrupting. And so we, we, we did when we were overseas the last corrupting how? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're, you know, state clones. I mean, the, the mindset is that what, what they're doing, like I was in Spain and I was in Italy in, in, on permanent assignments and, you know, we're over there. There's no cold war. There's a there's there's bombs and people getting murdered from all different angles in the Balkans, which we're you know, that's in the news constantly. And the military families and the military members um, not only don't question it, uh, they they cheer it. They they this is freedom. You know, they, they don't have any idea why they're there, but they are they're told it's freedom and, and they do. Anyway, it, it's kind of interesting. We lived, uh, we lived off uh, off base in in Italy with Italian neighbors, and that was that was just a, a wonderful thing. Um, not that the Italians aren't statist, but um, the the way they live their lives is interesting and and uh, kind of independent in many ways from uh, from the state. And they laugh a lot at their state, which uh, yeah, I think that's the one thing that uh, <laughs> the the sort of non imperialistic countries have a pretty cynical relationship with their yeah. state. Uh, I mean, I remember traveling through South America and the governments were all, the minions were always referred to as El Bandidos. <laughs> you know, like everybody kind of got <laughs> what the story was. And that's, but that's because you need less propaganda if you don't have an empire, right? Yeah. Well, I never thought of that. That's, that's, that's perfectly true. And, you know, you can't hard, I mean, you can't say anything in this country um, against the state and you're labeled. I mean, you're, uh, it's, it's, uh, it makes people nervous. It, this, the state of, the, you know, the level of, uh, uh, fear to criticize the Democrat. They'll blame the Democrats, or they say we're spending too much. But seriously, that's not that's mild criticism. I mean, uh, you know, we we don't criticize the the you know the whole context of what this modern state has become in the last seventy or eighty years in this country. We don't uh, seriously question that. You know, if you do seriously question that, 
people will just say, well, move somewhere else. You know, it's, uh, you know, they and they and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it because it really would turn their whole perception, their whole framework completely upside down. And uh, and well, there was something I think on one of the polls just today that I saw in, in uh, or an article I saw just today. And they were talking about the number of people that work for government uh, outnumbers the total number of people that work in industry combined with farming, combined with uh, five other areas. Um, we have more people working for government than they than they do combined in all these other productive ways. So, and it used to be, I think, as as recently as a decade or two ago, it used to be quite the opposite, right? You'd have yeah. twice the people working in manufacturing than working in government. Now it's the that's other right. way around, and that's an inevitable. I mean, there's a cancerous growth. I mean, it it, is. The, the it, economics it, are inevitable. That's right. It's it, it is uh, it's predictable, and it makes sense from a uh, from the government from the way the state operates. It makes perfect sense. Um, but it is unsustainable. <laughs> we can use that environmental word, <laughs> use that <laughs> right. new world order word, unsustainable, and apply it to the state because, you know, I think we're going to definitely, uh, you and I definitely are going to see it in our lifetimes for sure, I think. Oh, yeah. It's, I had to, Doug Casey on the show the other week, and he said it was within the next year. That was his, um, oh, okay. yeah. his perspective. So, yeah, I've, I've thought I think it's probably going to be sooner. But, of course, we don't have the facts. We can't lift the lid and see what's going on behind the curtain because we don't have the facts about how much money the Fed is really printing yes. or what the deficit really is. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors for the outsiders, so the people on the inside. And I, I think that the escalation of status programs, particularly war, has something to do with grabbing as much treasure before the door I, comes down as possible. This is, I, I agree with you. I think, I think the... Um, the, the, if you, you, we can't lift the lid, but if we can look for clues, um, the clues are are how in in the wide variety of ways that profit taking can be made taken by the folks pulling the strings, um, you know, by the folks that are benefiting from these states, and not just ours, but all of you know the European states, the global, you know, I mean, we have global statism. I mean, seriously, I, you can hardly find any, uh, you know, mindsets other than that 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 are associated with the whole country. I mean, even Switzerland, I, I don't, you know, I. You know, they're 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 sucked in or part and parcel. So, um, you know, looking at how profit taking is being accelerated, how they're setting themselves up for the what, whatever it is that comes next um, is a sign that if they know if they're acting on that, then that's uh, how 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 soon, how deep. Yeah, I mean, it's, if the uh, if the co if the company is about to go bankrupt, uh, a lot of stuff goes missing all at once. And I think that is yes. uh, you know, when it when it when every when it you know when you're in business, if it's going to outlast your lifetime, then you're going to be very conservative with your predations. But if it's you know if the uh, if the repossessors <laughs> right. are pulling up at the door, a lot of stuff goes in your pockets. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and you know they are banditos, you know, and they are they are criminals, and so they behave like they behave uh, with. Uh, you know, that sense of, hey, it's all about me. Um, you know, this this idea that, uh, I mean, I don't believe in altruism, but this idea that the state is caring for others. I mean, my God, <laughs> it doesn't. You know, it's it's uh, its actions are totally enriching. It's uh, the, the folks that are running it. And um, anyway, I mean, I'm surprised the Democrats don't see this or the, the Obama supporters don't see this with Obama's uh, very Bush-like, uh, you know, recent act in Libya. Um, you know, I mean, well, that's worse than Bush. I mean, yeah, if, if, if there's worse than than like 99% evil, 99.1% evil. I mean, it's worse than Bush in terms of yeah. there, there seems to be I mean, I had uh, Dr. Elon from the Independent Institute on a couple of days ago, and oh. he was talking about how Obama had followed the letter of the law. But I've certainly heard other arguments that a unilateral declaration 
Uh, oh, I mean, it is war. I mean, they're bombing mm -hmm. their, I mean, it's oh, no yeah. question killing, it's war. They're killing a bunch of people, yeah. Yeah, killing, bombing, you know, uh, and um, and the fact that he didn't even remotely see congressional, at least Bush got a, you know, declaration of congressional right. intent or, or authorization. I mean, uh, yeah. this, uh, you know, a bomb hurling lunatic uh, in the White yeah. House at the moment hasn't even gone that far. That's, that's right. And my suspicion is, because I, I don't think much of Obama at all in terms of his any of his capabilities that, you know, that he basically was instructed <laughs> that this is what needs to happen. I mean, you know, he was advised. So, that you know, get the money while you can, whoever it is that needs it. I mean, this is, you know, get the oil if they can, you know, uh, move money around. I mean, the, it's funny to see how the, the Federal Reserve Papers um, indicated, uh, you know, money was given to the Central Bank of Libya. <laughs> I don't know. It's just. No, well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know about that. What's what's yeah, the about this? Well, it's, it's a small part, but I guess the 26,000 pages of records that the Federal Reserve uh, released as a result of, I think it was MSNBC's um, suit or, or I forget, some one of the news agencies, business channels, uh, filed suit against the Fed to reveal who received all the money that they were um, pumping out uh, when they did the bailouts of the big banks. And so uh, they, the Fed wouldn't give it to them, but finally they lost their suit. And so they did publish, I guess, 26, 27,000 pages of papers. And people have gone through those just in the past several days, I guess. And uh, a lot of European banks that nobody's ever heard of received a, a lot of this money. And the bank, National Bank of Libya got money. I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, <laughs> and of course, I don't know, it's just crazy, but um well, let me let me finish the, the whole thing. Yeah, let's get back get to your uh, so, your evolution. Uh, I think that's most, a fascinating story. Well, I don't know how fascinating it is, but um, most people really only uh, know me as as a person who complained, I guess, uh, somewhat publicly, although ineffectively, I think, um, about the invasion of of Iraq two thousand three. Because uh, at that time, uh, in the year before that, I'd been assigned into the Office of Secretary of Defense, uh, Near East South Asia. Um, I didn't volunteer to go there, but uh, I was moved over there when you're, in, you know, just move people around. So they moved me over there, told me to do North Africa desk, which was fine. I had some background in that. And um, I got our office uh, over the summer of 2002 uh, hosted a new office that came in, made up mostly of appointed people, uh, neoconservatives uh, down to the person, of course, of the appointed ones. And these guys, nobody knew what they were really doing, but they were hot bunking it with us. So we were crammed in together. So we we're in close proximity, sharing desks and things like that. And uh, by the end of the summer, they did find new spaces for this office. And then we had a meeting where they said this was the uh, Office of Special Plans, also known as the Office of um, uh, well, the Expanded Iraq Desk. But they also had the Iran guy, the Iran folks that were working in Iran were up there, too. So anyway, um, and they told us that at that meeting in August of 2002 that this office would put out talking points based on the intelligence, you know, that we were consumers of produced by uh, CIA, DIA, you know, other agencies. And uh, the talking points would be the only thing that we would use in any documents that we did. We would no longer need to consult the intelligence from any of the the uh, sources that we have of intelligence of anal analyzed work or anything. We would simply just call when we needed to write a paper. We would call up to OSP, and if we had anything to say about Iraq, WMD, or terrorism, pretty broad areas if you're working Middle East, um, you would get your words verbatim from this Office of Special Plans, and they would email them down on the classified system, and you were not, it was specifically instructed to us that <laughs> we are not to edit, we are not to 
change, modify, delete. We have to use, if they send us two pages, we have to use all two pages in our document. If they send us three pages, you know, basically in its entirety as written. And in those talking points were things that were contradicted by the intelligence that we had been previously using. Of course, that intelligence didn't change. This was pure propaganda. Um, But we were told to use it. So I think there was a sense of betrayal, insult, and of course, the crime ongoing, which was that uh, that war had already been war planned out in the spring of 2002 and the summer 2002 and the fall of 2002 and winter was the propaganda campaign, which we then in the military and, and civilian, the civil service that were up there doing similar jobs, we are supposed to be apolitical, but in fact, we were part and parcel to uh, helping propagandize uh, this war that had already been decided that was already going to happen. So what the question was, you know, well, what, how do we sell it to the American people? And they tried a couple of things, you know, they tried the, 9-11 thing. And of course, that didn't that didn't pan out because there was you know no evidence. And at some point, that was not a strong argument. Although there are people to this day, you know, as, as you know, in a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Still and they it. because George Bush and, and uh, uh, Condoleezza Rice and Dick Cheney repeatedly said that uh, Saddam Hussein had something to do with 9-11. There are people that believe that and they didn't hear any subsequent retractions, which were made by those same people. Although I don't know if Cheney ever retracted it, but I know George Bush did. So anyway, we had that. And then he was supposed to be working with uh, Osama bin Laden. Of course, the intelligence said if he had caught Osama bin Laden, he would have put him out of his misery. Being a dictator, socialist dictator, secular leader, um, he he was actually – Osama had two guys that he published uh, his hatred of, his – agenda against and one was of course us because we kept interfering with the you know doing whatever we were doing in the middle east for so many years and uh very corrupting and and uh, uh stealing you know kind of terrible influence that we did he was upset about that and the other thing was the worst traitors than maybe us because he could understand non-muslims doing it but he couldn't understand how a muslim like saddam hussein brought up in the right way so to speak uh, would reject that and become a uh, secular uh, socialist and run a secular state and use the oil, potential oil wealth of, of Iraq to uh, do something in Osama bin Laden's, you know, Wahhabist eyes as being very un, uh, un-Muslim and not good for, uh, you know, not very, not very uh, pure. So anyway, we, so the, you know, we, that, that whole Osama bin Laden was working with, or, or, or Saddam Hussein was working with Osama bin Laden, you know, this thing didn't sell. Um, so those are the things they tried. And then, of course, WMD, uh, we had some evidence of WMD because, of course, we had the receipts. So we knew that uh, when he was our ally, you know, we had sent we had sent uh, anthrax. We had sent uh, some other biotoxins, uh, different things. But uh, and, of course, we had, you know, the U.N. was in there and de- decommissioning most of that, whatever, if it hadn't already expired or gone bad. You know, so the accounting of that had been done in the uh, in the 90s. Meanwhile, we're bombing the living heck out of uh, Saddam Hussein. So we had pretty much good information about Saddam Hussein's real capabilities. In, but the American people, it was an easy sell to them to say, well, WMD. And of course, if you were watching the news, uh, anybody around the world, I'm sure, you know, Condoleezza Rice is talking about, I think, what, St. Louis was going to get a dirty bomb or or some sort of uh, poison gas directly from a, <laughs> I don't know, a UAV from Iraq or something. You know, she had this, these, these big visions. And, you know, Americans are not... Uh, if, if they go to public school, you know, they don't learn to think critically and they're not well educated scientifically or mathematically. So uh, I think it's by design. We don't want them to think and we don't want them to add. So, um, you know, 
they, 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 this was an easy sell. People could would believe well, it. Yeah, and of course, if they don't know history, they don't remember the doctrine of mutually assured destruction, which is the main reason why only proxy wars were fought between America and Russia. And of course, yeah. if Saddam Hussein had tried to do anything even remotely like that, I mean, they would have just turned... Uh, back that into into concrete and glass, That's right. uh, and so there's, I mean, there's, he had he would have no reason whatsoever to attempt to uh, murder a bunch of Americans because oh. he knows exactly what would happen next, that's and that's exactly. exactly what kept all the Russians' uh, uh, fingers off the buttons as well. Yeah, it's true. So what what it seemed like is that we wanted a war, and it seemed like this to me at the time, and and even though it seems crazy now because everybody kind of knows what happened uh, as far as the propaganda, but it was it was very upsetting and. Uh, eye-opening. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I didn't even know what neoconservatism was as a political philosophy. I, I didn't, it's not something that I knew uh, anything about, but I found out and I learned and read. And of course, there were people, not just Lou Rockwell, not just the anti-war crowd, but there were lots of critics um, in the media, not not well-known and certainly not the editors of the main newspapers or, or uh, you know, the controllers of the television. But, you know, the right questions were being asked, but uh, the whole confluence of, you know, corporate America, the defense establishment and the media, all pushing, all kind of reiterating, you know, reinforcing this uh, truly false story leading to a truly tragic, well, from a from a humanitarian and from a constitutional point of view, you know, a tragic uh, end, which was this, uh, you know, invasion of Iraq for basically no good reason, because some guys in Washington and, and elsewhere uh, thought it was a good idea. And why? Well, you know, we have the same reason for liberty. We have oil. We have Israel, who is uh, was certainly, certainly beating the drum to have us uh, do what they themselves, you know, would like to do for totally different reasons, I think. Right. Um, you know, yeah, and there was, the, of course, the fear that he was going to go uh, off the dollar and onto the euro for his uh, oil transactions. And, absolutely. And there's a book, uh, I know a guy who who wrote a book, uh, it's called something about the petrodollar. Um, and it, it really, he really goes into a lot of detail on, on some of this. Uh, and, and of course, you know, it's interesting, even though it has been a while since we invaded Iraq and, and, and Saddam's been dead for many years, uh, when he threatened and when he actually did for European purposes, go off of the dollar for the sale of his oil. Um, you know, you can't stop that. That's happening now. They're looking for alternative currencies. And, you know, the fed, I mean, if you're going to print money, that's worthless and you're going to have debt that's unpayable and uh, never will be when it, you know, it's clear that this country is going to walk on its debt, inflate its way out or repudiate it or all three. So, you know, people don't want the dollar. And, um, I don't care how many wars this country goes to, they're not going to stop that. They have to. Well, I mean, the more wars, the more money printing, the less people are going to want the dollar, right? So I think it's yeah. not about saving the dollar, it's about extracting as much value from the general it's, population as possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think and I just, so I just wanted to mention something before we continue. Uh, it just sort of struck me that 9 11 and the associated uh, foreign policy disastrous, what an incredible opportunity that was for America to look inward and, and to, to genuinely attempt to answer the question, why did this happen yeah. with some intelligent and probing analysis? It's almost like the rush to war was almost like an avoidance of looking at uh, root causes in terms of foreign policy and, and wars and, and toppling uh, the Iranian government in the 50s and, and support of right. Israel and support of, of Saudi Arabia and all of the other horrendous policies that have been going on for many, many years. Uh, and not just, of course, from the U.S., but, I mean, France and, and England in particular uh, and other countries yeah. have had a hand in it. I mean, this European continual 
crusading colonization of the Middle East since oil was found to be valuable. What an incredible opportunity. I think the rush to war was, let's not stop and look at why this happened. Let's just go act and do something violent so that we don't have to, you know, like like this, mm-hmm. this old story about the guy whose wife leaves him, so he goes out and gets into a bar fight because he doesn't want to figure out why his wife has yeah. left him. He just wants to go and do something violent so he never has yeah. to look inward. It sort of struck me that it's a little bit like that, but let's, I'm, I'm, my, my New Year's resolution is to try not to tangent myself into the grave, so uh, let's make sure that we keep going with your story, which is completely fascinating and much more interesting oh. than anything I can toss in right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I... I I agree. I mean, it, but I, but I also suspect that the whole, I mean, I have, I have huge doubts about the whole theatrical aspect of nine 11 um, because we were, we were almost too ready to go to war um, and to drop bombs. And we were almost too ready with um, various types of legislation. So, um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, it, it, it would actually be better if it was just a violent reaction and a non-thinking reaction, you know. In a, in a, oh, as opposed to like opposed uh, to being something. so ready to exploit anything or possibly even having foreknowledge or something. That's like right. That. Yeah, yeah. Because right, right. I think uh, now, you know, it could be just sure, sheer incompetence, really, uh, that led to us not having the so-called foreknowledge of this, but um, or not being able to put the pieces together in time to prevent it. But um, but clearly, that that event uh, was a watershed for the neocons. And it was a watershed for the war makers and the state makers in this country. And um, it was a watershed for people who hate the Constitution um, to the extent that... Yeah, and of course it was the invention of yet another industry, oh sorry, yet another agency to cover up the messes, like so you had Department of Homeland Security on top of, right, uh, the Department of Defense and the CIA and the FBI and all of the other associated uh, alphabet soups. It's like, oh, well, they all failed, so let's get another one because that's that's going to be the final solution, right? Sure. And and it's it accounts in some ways for the last decade of growth in, in government hiring, too, because, you know, the uh, all, the government agencies have all uh, increased and and the, the, the military, which I uh, had a slight, slight, slight decrease in, in manning after the Cold War. But the, the funding in relative terms really never went down. And, and of course, now it exceeds even the levels that it was at in World War Two, if you can believe that. And we have no wars. Is so, that right? So yeah. percentage of, G, of GNP, it's uh, oh, GDP, it's larger close. than it was in World War Two. Yeah, II. it's, it's wow. as close as it's ever been. And it's it's uh, within spitting distance of the levels it was in the midpoint of, uh, not the end, but the midpoint of World War Two. That's what I saw on a chart. And, uh, you know, total spending and, and whatnot. Now, Anyway, so so back to back to when I'm in the Pentagon here, and so right, I, so you're getting all these propaganda talking points. Yes, I'm getting. Uh, and, and again, I don't take credit for being like, oh, I'm so smart, I figured this out. I I worked with uh, a lot of uh, military officers, uh, colonels, and navy captains who um we would we would sit and talk about what was going on around us in our shop. We would talk about these talking points, and we would complain to each other, or you know, check the the validity of them. And say, oh, my God, you know, why would they say this when clearly it's not true? And so, of course, there's only one answer to that because that serves their purpose to say it. The other thing that was upsetting uh, to me, and I did notice this because, you know, we we read the news. um, I would see the verbatim talking points that were classified secret on my desk um, in the New York Times, often within a very short amount of time of being updated because these talking points were updated. And so uh, clearly... You know, we the talking points, the generators of the talking points, the agenda for war and the media were all uh, working together. And and none of this uh, fits in, you know, with anything I was taught on how government was supposed to work. But it is how government does work. But I was and the checks and balances of the media. Right. And the criticisms. It's not exactly all the president's men out there. Right. 
exactly yeah or, or rather that's a story because it's so rare but anyway. yes it's a, it, very rare in fact there are even even the uh well there was i think uh well the, the people that actually published some of my or, or used me as a source while i was still active duty uh the uh, uh mcclatchy newspapers they were punished heavily i think in fact the, the company uh they had a they had a bunch of city papers which they were busted up. I don't know if it was a trust thing or they just had some rich guy go after them. But um, they they did a pretty fair job of looking and and developing a lot of sources within the military within the Pentagon and elsewhere. I was just one of a lot of people that saw what was happening and felt that it wasn't right. But um, but yeah, for the most part, the mainstream media did. It, it was government media. It was it was uh, Pravda and, and TASS in the old days. You know, it was exactly exactly uh, functioned exactly like that. Um, so we could watch these talking points change over time. And they had this one talking point that lasted from the very beginning until December, early December. And this talking point had uh, Saddam Hussein's intel chief meeting a uh, uh, one of the 9-11 planners um, in Prague, Czechoslovakia. Right, and you might right. remember this story because it got a lot of play. And then at some point, somebody in FBI and other people knew because everybody knew it wasn't true in the Intel community. They had access to it. But finally someone in the FBI in a public identified, you know, I'm FBI, FBI asserts that this is not true. And that was on the front page of the New York times. And so once, once that hit the times that the FBI knew it wasn't true. Now we knew it wasn't true from two years before that, but, um, and so did the Intel. No one in Intel was ever briefing that or claiming that, but the talking points that we were given internally and the same ones of course that were given to apparently under the table to the times and post and such uh they did change it after the new york times was forced to report that the fbi said this didn't happen that next week the next version of the talking points out of osp silently deleted that talking point <laughs> so it's just like you know it's just like uh no we've always been at war with such and such Remember? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was right just amazing but um, and of course, these the people doing it are uh, uh, not following the chain. There's direct contact between Cheney's office on a routine daily basis with the Near East South Asia guys, um, you know, which normally that wouldn't happen in a normal situation. You know, we are a bureaucracy. Um, there are ways to talk to other bureaucracies, and it's not um, through direct faxes with every little thing that you're doing all the time. You just don't. So it's it's a corrupting of what. Even if you believe in the bureaucratic controls, it was a corrupting of those bureaucratic controls. And, and, and it's because the people sort of in the field would give information that couldn't be correlated with the larger picture, couldn't be verified or validated with other pieces of information. They just drill straight down to the people, mm -hmm. get some facts that they wanted with some, right. I'm sure, caution and fear and intimidation. That's uh, right. Or at least pressure. Oh, and absolutely. they wouldn't have people who were higher up who were less afraid uh, putting the blended stuff together with a bigger picture, right? Yeah, that's right. And and if people there was there was actual uh, there was an example, and this has been written about back back on this 2002, what was happening there in, in the Pentagon. You know, the DIA had a uh, 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 guy, Bruce was well, I can't remember his last name now. It's somewhere. Um, Hardcastle was his name. Bruce Hardcastle. He was a senior DIA. He was an, a that is a great name for a senior CIA guy. I <laughs> yeah, tell. I mean, he must have changed his name or he was destined to be that guy with that name, so. yeah. Bruce Hardcastle. <laughs> anyway, go Bruce on. Bruce Hardcastle, who, who uh, may be retired now, but I know that he did not retire at the time. He was uh, the, the DIA person who worked directly for Near East South Asia and advised, he was the senior intelligence officer, to advise um, uh, the Near East South Asia director, who's an appointed person named Bill Ludi, a, a neocon who, who actually came over to our office from, from Cheney's office, right, when the, the new administration came in. So uh, 
they they did not get along because Bruce Hardcastle, living up to his name, refused to modify, you know, what the intelligence was saying. And um, they had they bumped heads many times. And Ludi uh, uh, once told us that if Bruce was going to a meeting, he would not attend. And if he went to a meeting, Hardcastle was not to be allowed there. Now, this is his DIA dedicated, bureaucratically assigned top intel advisor. Um, right. And this was their attitude because, you know, they don't want to hear what they didn't want to hear. And and uh, they wanted a war and they were going to make a war and they made one. Now, to, to be fair, um, you know, we've done this before. All, all Probably many countries have done it. Kings, kings have done it. Um, you know, and we've done it in our history in different ways. We've made wars because we wanted them because somebody... Well, even the reports of German atrocities in uh, France in 19, May 1940 were, were, you know, that they were raping nuns and gunning right. down children. It was all Absolutely. fabricated. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah, notorious the, the way uh, the, the British uh, media and the British government uh, played that that whole thing. Um, so, so you know, we, we, we see this with, with all conflicts. And, and I think the, the core common denominator is there has to be who somebody's making money. Um, there, there are hardcore commodities that you know, governments want, people in government want. And then in this case, I think with the neocons, there is an ideological thing, and it's not about democracy, although they talk about that. It's it's uh, it's about Israel. Um, you know, it's about, uh, you know, and I always love it when they say Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. Well, it might be democracy, but it's also a socialist country where 95% of the property is owned by the state, even Israel. Yeah, and it's, Israelis a, it's, it's a democracy. Unless, unless they're former <laughs> government officials. And it's a democracy if you don't count the West Bank, right? Which... That's right. And it's a democracy only if you are Jewish. So, right. well, we got to, you know, that's that's not exactly how Americans, you know, uh, think of uh, a little free, you know, a little free market democracy. Well, Israel's not a little free market democracy by any definition Americans are used to. But um, they always, you know, proclaim it that way. And, and it's also funny to me that we uh, don't, you know, we trusted the, you mentioned the uh, mutually assured destruction. Um you know, Israel has uh, both has and has let it be known uh, its capabilities in all things military, including nuclear. And, you know, uh, they're not going to get, you know, people who don't want to be turned into, you know, parking lots are probably not going to mess with them. Um, so in a sense, we don't need we don't need to be there to protect Israel. But there's a huge ideological uh tendency to, to see, I guess, at least the neocons do to see the United States, I think, as a protector and oh, and of course, the the Middle East governments, the 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 dictatorships in the Middle East, love Israel being there because it gives uh, an external enemy that diverts the hatred of their people away, at least up until recently, away yep. from the domestic uh, terrorism that they're going up against their own people. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, it just keeps people distracted from where their real uh, enemies yep. are, which is the people sitting on the seats of power. Yeah, and it is really uh, anyone who's even casually looking at the past twenty years of our history. You don't even we don't even have to go back to Iran, you know, in nineteen fifty three or or other things. Um, you know, we we support um, Israel, who basically has got uh, uh, you know a kind of uh, uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what the South Africans had apartheid. They have an apartheid against the uh, you know the Palestinians who are there. And and they do, they don't honor the UN you know the ter they, you know they call the territories theirs when the territories are really you know by by uh, <laughs> most standards of of war time you know not theirs and they build on it and they do these things which are very uh, unjust and I think you know Americans don't particularly think that's just and at the same time we support Saudi Arabia which is the home of well the royal family is actually related to Bin Laden I mean he's one of them and um, 
and and they do things that are also very alien to the way Americans uh, think their values are. And these are our two best friends in the region. Well, not counting Egypt, not counting Mubarak, and he's just as bad. So, you know, it's it's kind of strange if you sit back and look at our policy. Yeah, we are monster hypocrites. And so what's it really about? Well, you know, it's about money for our politicians, which comes through the Israeli support, and it's about oil and opportunities for our uh, our major corporations to compete without really competing, you know, on a fair battlefield. We want them to compete unfairly, just like a, just like uh, France and England and all those other ones probably want theirs to, you know, have an advantage. So, um, yeah, you don't get an empire if you're going up against equals, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's um oh and and also what are we doing in, in Bahrain? You know we got we got the fifth fleet there in Bahrain, so we back the monarchy there. We're killing, we're helping them shoot the <laughs> the protesters. And meanwhile, for, but Libyan protesters are okay. We we want to help them, but we'll shoot them if they're if they're Bahraini. Now, what happened next? Uh, I feel like we're getting good good foreign policy commercials, but I want to get back to the main plot of oh, what happened well, to the divine uh, Miss Kay after yeah. these propagandas passed slithered well, like snakes starting, through your hands. Yeah. Well, starting in August, I, I was upset about what I was seeing, and I felt really powerless to do anything about it. because um, and, and I shared that with other people that I worked with, and they shared it back with me. It wasn't that I was the only one that felt this way. But there was a basically a shared sense amongst people that uh, – and, and in the military, you're, you're, you're surrounded by conservative people who believe – Although in many cases, falsely, they believe that they're defending the Constitution. So, um, you know, we're coming from that perspective where we're thinking that it's not right, that this is uh, that in a sense to military itself is being used by uh, politicians. And so we didn't like that. And by frustration, had no place to go. So I began to write um, some essays, short little uh, dark humor, kind of black humor. Uh, satirical, sarcastic little essays. And um, I collected them. I shared them with some of my friends and they liked them and they thought they were funny. And um, it was essays about what I was seeing around me, but in kind of a, uh, uh, well, this would be, <laughs> it didn't approach anything like Mark Train's war prayer, but you know, that kind of satirical or, or sarcastic um, critique. That's kind right, of right. what I was writing. So anyway, I shared them with friends and, and I, I at one point sent them to Lou Rockwell, but I said, look, I'm in the military and because I'm criticizing and making fun of, in a very obvious way, our leaders, our, our civilian appointed leaders and whatnot, and our generals too, the ones that were going along with it, um, you know, I'll get in big trouble. And so I don't want to have my name published. And um, he said, well, I don't do anonymous. And I understood that totally. So then I, I sent those same, I had five at that time by the end of August and uh, I sent them over to uh, uh David Hackworth and his website, Soldiers for the Truth. Now he's he's passed away several years ago, but he had a website. Uh, he's a you know military guy, considered himself uh, pro constitution, pro soldier, and he um, fought the system. He fought the system a little bit when he was in, and then after he retired, he was a voice of criticism of um, some of the stupid things that the military in particular would do, and some of our policies. So he uh, he accepted him immediately, and I he did not know me. I never met him. I never did meet him ever. Uh, but he read those things and he immediately made a place for me on his website, insider notes from the Pentagon. And I published eventually something like 33 or 34, basically one a week. And these were anonymous at the time? They were all anonymous. He, he granted right. me anonymity. And, um, so, so that was fine. And people were reading them. I mean, they did get some, they did get some, uh, some play. And, uh, so it was kind of interesting. And there was some, there was some, basically it made me feel like I was doing something 
when in fact I wasn't doing much, but it made me feel but, like. Oh, sorry, how, I mean, was that was that stressful? I mean, did you feel like, oh Lord, could it ever be traced? I mean, was because that's, no, that's I wasn't pretty. Stressed, uh... No, I didn't care about that. I already sent them to people. I sent them. There were a lot of people that knew. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but but I think. Um, if I think, and I and I don't know at at what point um, while I was still active duty that uh, that people might have been people like authority figures might have been looking for that. I don't know if they were. If they were, I was not suspected um, because nothing bad ever came of it. I was certainly uh, name called, bad mouthed, and and you know verbally committed to hell by the New <laughs> Times after you know after I got out and and then wrote publicly. And claim yeah, I've had my own excitements with the media, so I, I know the name calling they're capable of. Oh yeah, yeah. So they, um, but but I don't. I didn't get any. I had no real sense of fear at all. Um, I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just not too bright. But I, I really. Um, people knew. People knew that I was writing it. Um, I, I would, you know, it wasn't a real close secret. Obviously, I didn't tell my bosses, and I didn't info them. I didn't give them an info copy of my, of my, uh, you know, my latest. But. Um, Anyway, but the, what I wanted to mention about David Hackworth was he never knew me. He wasn't a big person who's pro-women in the military kind of thing. And yet, um, you know, so I might have not had credibility to him for a number of reasons. I was the Air Force, you know, uh, he didn't know me anything. But he immediately accepted them. And I mean fast. And he valued them. And his feedback was good. And and it came to me later, I realized um, he was hearing much the same thing from many, 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 many people that he knew in the system, both active duty, uh, retired people who are working as civilians, people who had friends. You know, he had a huge network of uh, faithful, <laughs> faithful soldiers or faithful, uh, you know, public servants, if you can use that word, who who did disagree, who kind of recognized the uh, perversion of the system that was going on and the politicization. And the agenda. Now, having said that, I think if if it had been communists like, that we were fighting against, you know, probably Hackworth might have, uh, you know, not been sympathetic to my view. I don't know that, but um, he understood fully that there was no threat um, coming from from the targets of the neocons, uh, you know, ire. The, the the Middle East was not something that was going to change American way of life. They weren't going to come over here and bomb us and take our property and turn us into Muslims. You know, he, he knew that just like a lot of people did. So uh, he, he understood this was an agenda based war, not, not anything based on security or defense. Um, so, you know, a lot of people knew it. And of course uh, the weird thing was after the war uh, was after the invasion happened, the office of special plans stood down, his propaganda job was done. And w within a few short years, um, all of the mainstream media is now reporting what, I was saying and what other people were saying, you know, and, and it's, I mean, there's well-known people like, uh, who was the guy that did the yellow cake report? Oh yeah. Um, the Valerie Plame's husband, right? I can't yeah, remember Valerie, his name, but Valerie yeah. Plame's husband. Yeah. The ambassador and, um, Oh, a number of people. And there were people that retired or stood down in protest, uh, state, several state department people did. Um, and it was all based on the same thing they were seeing at their level this um, propaganda, this pushing of lies, this uh, conscientious uh, justification of a really an illegal war. And it, and it was, it is, um, you know, and, and yet for all that, nothing changed. You know, we're occupying that country to this day. We've, we've, uh, you know, we'd, we'd bombed it for a dozen years uh, in between the last Gulf War and our invasion. So it, it wasn't like he had built much back, still a lot of damage. And when we went in with all of our, uh, what is that they did to awe the, the shock, shock and awe. Yeah. yeah. Went in with um, 
Oh, and I don't, I'll, I'll mention this to you. Maybe you probably mentioned this to someone else before. And um, I saw, you know, the, the word from the, the Bible, Shekinah. I don't know it. No. Well, it, it means something. I can't forget. It's kind of like an aura or something. Um, it's shock and awe. And I saw it on a church. I saw shock and awe spelled that way. Wow. On a <laughs> Christian church off of 81. I was driving down to North Carolina. Yeah. So I don't know how much of the radical Christian let's make uh, Israel ready for Jesus again had to do with. Yeah, that's that's an underreported thing that they believe that this war has to occur in order for end times and and ascension and all that. That's right. And the neocons, um, the neoconservatives, you know, they talk about global. Well, globalism, they like global democracy. They 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 talk about um, making people become secular uh, liberals or whatever. That's part of it. The other part of it is Israel. It's all about Israel. And then a, a part of that is to gain the support of the Christian right in, in the United States in particular, which they had been working on for many, many years, you know, allying this with the, the Jerry Falwells and the other, um, uh, you know, really conservative uh, pro-constitution, except unless it has to do with killing Muslims. They certainly like to, you know, let's kill some Muslims. So it's it's um, really an awful uh uh, confluence of interests that that have kind of made this, I think, possible in some ways. But in any case, you know, we're still there. Uh, they, they, we we took out with the shock and all. We took out their 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 city urban structural systems. You know, their plumbing and their uh, their water sewage systems, and yeah. sewage systems and their electrical systems. Tore up a lot of their buildings, uh, and and then made it impossible for them to repair those buildings either due to violence or trade embargoes or you can't buy your you know you can only buy your your supplies from certain american approved you know <laughs> you know it was all about business at this point and um you know so we've destroyed the we've destroyed the country the they've had a brain drain of anybody that had the slightest bit of ability to get out of the country in iraq they have left and and those that are stuck there are uh you know vulnerable to being divided by uh, you know, religion and, and uh, you know, fighting over limited resources and being manipulated by Western powers. And, and we've got this massive embassy in Baghdad. And so, yeah, we are, we are definitely an empire. I mean, just if you only look at Iraq, you could see it. Oh, heavens. I mean, the U.S. military is still in Japan over 60 years after them. I mean, they're not going anywhere as long as there's a dollar to pay someone out there. That's uh, right. They're not going anywhere. That's right. And it's an awful, it's an awful thing um, because it corrupts, it corrupts us too. It's not just that it, is you know evil in so many ways it that it's not evil that's far far away in the outer reaches of the empire the evil is back here at home you know we we live with this this is destroyed you know well the republic is gone and if there was any value in the republic you know well guess what we lost that and to regain it uh you know, with with sixty percent of your population that works working for the government, come on, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the the most hideous thing I think is is I mean, psychologically, is the aversion to the truth that uh, it comes with being part uh, either implicitly or explicitly of this kind of evil. I mean, you you've never seen. I mean, and this is the amazing. This is why I think we don't need a government because these kinds of social rules are enforced uh, without any government. There's no law that says that the mainstream media can never print any pictures of Iraq, Iraqi or Afghani victims mm-hmm. of the war, and yet you'll never, ever see one. No. Uh, it is this aversion to the truth and the reality of what is going on over the horizon, that these flashes are people, not bombs blowing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, this aversion to the truth 
has such a corrupting influence on everybody. They become allergic to basic the basic reality of what the system is, and yeah. because retreat into this dream world of sixty-inch plasma TVs and inconsequential infotainment, and mm-hmm. uh, can't ever touch back down to the grounded reality of what's going on. Yeah, it's it's true, and and uh, you know even even now, uh, I mean we we have a there, there was some discussion. I think you could have when Obama just got you know during the he was elected. It was a different. Now, now people could maybe talk about Bush a little bit. Now Republicans could not defend Bush as much. Maybe there was, a, you know, something you could talk about. But no, what for half a day, and then we're on to the same. You know, nothing changed. I mean, the guy's Bush three, and and the agenda is the same expanding, you know, imperial agenda. And uh, it's well, it certainly is my hope that people will get. That, you know, voting to change the hood ornament on the car does not change its fundamental direction and that the system is far beyond the faces you end up seeing on postage stamps. And uh, hopefully people will start to peer back a little bit behind the searchlight curtain at the the darkness yeah. and the real levers of power. And I think that people do feel a certain amount of hopelessness and despair about political action, which I think is also occurring in the libertarian community. Uh, and uh, that is... Um, I mean, I think that gives opportunities for other approaches, but uh, I think Obama's been a, a blessing in many ways to people who say that uh, it is not the people that is the system that is the problem. Yeah, that's true. And he, he certainly broke the hearts of many enthusiastic uh, liberal voters who, who thought, oh, we can actually change the direction of this car. And, you know, they voted for him and, and they found out absolutely not. And, and you know, we can go back. This, these Republicans who always, when they're out of power, you know, rediscover their core conservatism or whatever that is, you know, they, they talk about how good they are. I mean, they're all upset about the EPA. Well, I hate the EPA too, but it was Nixon that gave us the EPA and, uh, and, and they love Reagan because, you know, he just had his hundredth birthday and they go all like Reagan, Reagan. Well, you know, Reagan had some good lines, you know, he was going to get rid of the department of education. He was going to get rid of the uh, department of energy. He was a number of things on his hit list. And and he couldn't even get rid of the Rural Electrification Administration, which which lasted until um, the late 1990s. He could not get rid of that little organization, which one is very, very tiny. And of course, we had rurally electrified everything we could get to by that. Right. And yet you right. he and, and even the great Reagan couldn't kill that one, much less the big ones. And so, uh, you know, and now we've got Department of Homeland Security, also the son of a of a of a Republican uh, president and a Republican administration. So. You know, just crazy stuff um, to think that the trajectory is going to change with, uh, I mean, I almost, it sounds cruel, but I, I just don't see, I think they have to go uh, seriously bankrupt or, or, you know, I, I just can't imagine, I don't see change coming from government. No, no, I think that's, uh, it's far too late for that. I think uh, probably by the 1960s, certainly under the great society programs, if those, if the empirical failures and disasters of those weren't enough to turn things around, mm-hmm. uh, now everything's so entrenched and everybody is so embedded in the system. And opposing it, of course, causes great, as I've talked about before, it causes people great challenge in their personal relationships. You know, if you start talking about oh, that's right. the immoralities of government, you know, it's like my sister-in-law works for the Department of Education. Uh, ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's really, so yeah. everybody's embedded in it. It's the relationships, I think, that make it's it true. hard for people to speak out. It's true. Well, I mean, I, I'm part of the problem in, in that. I mean, I'm, I'm dependent in many ways. I mean, I, I take my military retirement pay, you know, and I teach part-time at a a community college, which is a state community college. So, you know, it's, and, and I teach at another college, which is another state's public university. 
So, well, see, Karen, what you have to do is just start podcasting and ask you for donations because that's the really <laughs> exciting area of teaching. That's the ultimate surfboard edge free market uh, uh, cutting edge, I think, of education is, uh, you know, I used to have a real job. I used to yeah. work in the software <laughs> field and, uh, you know, just <clears throat> cut but all ties to that start. stuff, go podcast and, and yeah. basically spend your life on bended knee begging people for change. <laughs> it's a glorious, glorious place <laughs> to be. That's to my do suggestion. It. Yeah. So what do you say? You used to you play soccer or? No, no, sorry. I used to... Um, I used to be a software executive and entrepreneur many moons, I guess, up until a couple of years ago when I quit oh. to do this full time. So Cool. Well, that's great. Well, my, my approach is to prepare for the collapse and the evaporation of all my state income uh, by just by doing my other real work, which is uh, the farming and, the you know, we have uh, different things, you know, small things. But I don't I don't uh, I kind of feel like out of, you know, I write for Lou Rockwell and I try to do as much free you know stuff out there just to get. To kind of, it's almost like my own reckoning, to some extent. But I'm definitely. Well, and I, you know, from my standpoint, I've I've made a, a very serious vow to myself to not uh, cast moral judgments against anybody who's into farming, given where society is going, uh, because I just never know when I'm going to show up and, and beg people for like uh, oranges and <laughs> you know whatever the pigs didn't eat, uh, you just throw it in my plate and I'll be happy. Yeah, so exactly. so yeah, moral condemnation is not coming from me to anyone who's well armed. Uh, who has plots of land, who has <laughs> toilet paper and gold and, you know, stacks of food in the basement. Uh, that that no, no stones being thrown for me to anybody like that. So I just want to let you know uh, I'm hedging my bets. That's, that's, that's where I I'm mean, coming and, from. And, you know, people are um, of all different political, uh, you know, perspectives, um, although many of them I think are anti-state, but at their heart, they may not articulate it that way, but I think they, they're getting in the right direction. But, um, you know, a lot of people are interested in... Um, uh, you know, some sorts of self-sufficiency and also uh, skill learning skills that that we have gotten away from that can be useful to other people, you know, real business and not not getting, you know, not having a, you know, you can't really have a business in this country. I mean, you, you, as soon as you hire one or two people, you've got the IRS all over you and there's, you know, you're paying taxes on money you'll never earn. So, um, you know, there isn't you have to kind of do everything in the gray and black market anyway. So and there's a lot of people doing that, you know, this um, with our unemployment, you know, they talk about and I think there's 19 percent underemployed and then 10 percent straight out that they know of that are unemployed that won't work. But of many of those people, you know, 30 percent of the population, you know, they're doing stuff. They're not sitting there. Some of them sitting watching um, Jersey Shore all day. But but some of them are are uh, educating themselves. Uh, they're they're experimenting with different ways to make money. And some of them are doing under the table work and production. So there is at least that, I think. Though. Yeah, and I, I've, I've been meaning to run through this uh, mathematics, but I think if you, because if you look at the unemployment, you know, basically it's gone from like 5% to 10%. That's sort of the official story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not even close to the truth because there's a huge sector of the uh, employment uh, that has barely been touched, which is the government. So you can't count the government in your, you know, 5 to 10% because it's all concentrated in the in the private sector, it's not among the wealthy and educated. I think unemployment among the college educated is still only between five and six percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really, you know, if you constantly look at where it's really concentrated, it's concentrated in the poor and the minorities. All the people who used to get a few rungs up the ladder towards the middle class through yeah. manufacturing, through jobs that were semi-skilled, all of it's which right. have evaporated. If you look at where the unemployment has actually affected 
I think it's gone. You know, I think uh, Hispanic unemployment is 30 to 40 percent uh, among young blacks is 20 to 30 percent. I think there's just been massive increases, but it's kind of blended into these this middle class government area rich you know, white people uh, who are barely touched by it. And so it's sort of blended. But where the real craters are, they're very deep, but they're very localized, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's I think that's true. And, you know, kind of related to that, I, I didn't really notice this until just this week. But I I uh, sub- I get the Rasmussen reports, you know, they do polls all the time. They send you what their latest polls are. And um, they uh, I noticed one of the polls they sent earlier this week talked about what the political class thinks and what everybody else thinks. And I had, oh, yeah, I saw that because they're had, completely insulated from all this stuff. Yeah, right? but I hadn't noticed that they were doing polls, which actually identified the political class and then set them apart and opposed to uh, the rest of the people. And that's where we're getting to. Um, and, and it's good. And they've been doing that actually since at least last year, which I didn't realize. So, so yes, there's a political a class untouched by this pretty much economy wise. And, and as government grows, you know, their, their fortunes grow, they're relevant. They, they have a sense of relevancy, you know, cause the, you know, we're fighting this war, we're doing this program. And then you've got all the rest of the people here, which are not represented. Um, you know, they don't understand and don't agree with what the political class is doing. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, well, not interesting. It'll be scary. Yeah, it It'll be scary, scary when they wake up. And, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm going to try to associate myself away from the political class, but I have to confess to you. I have to confess, Devin. Um, I I got talked into. Uh, uh, well, we haven't completely announced yet, but we're there's a, a guy. He's actually a green, but he runs campaigns. He's been on my back for three years to try to uh, run for something in Virginia. So um, I'm challenging the incumbent in our sixth district, sixth congressional district. How interesting! Yeah, How interesting. But I'm but I'm doing it. I mean, I'm libertarian really anarchist, I guess, but I'm not a, I mean, I don't like where the, I don't have a big A on my. No, the state. word is unfortunate. To, yeah. The word is but, unfortunate. But I don't, I, I'm anti-state. I don't understand. You know, I, and, I, and I'll, you know, I'm open-minded. If you can show me some usefulness, um, you know, I'll consider it. I'll try to think back to everything that I know and I'll research it. But so far I'm not convinced of any usefulness. You know, there's, so, which means I'm an anarchist. I'm not, a, I don't think I'm a minarchist because I, I don't accept even that. So, um, but anyway, having said all that, uh, with, I live in a Republican district. It's like 70, 75% conservative Republicans. And so we elect Republicans. And my, our plan is to go up against this incumbent as a Republican in the primary. And um, what we've done so far is very little, but, but it's real easy to, it's real easy to uh, pose him as an anti-liberty person in a very pleasant and pleasing way. So that people say, well, then you've got. I mean, for a Republican demographic, you have credentials that stagger the imagination, like in terms of your military well, service the, and so on. There's right? some, yeah. There's some. There's some credibility um, there, you know, just in in who I am. And but anyway, it's it's kind of fun, and uh, you know, success for us will will uh, will really be, I think, um, in pulling this guy or challenging this guy out of his establishment uh, things and making him far more radical. And uh, the, hmm. guy, the guy who the incumbent, our incumbent, just like all the guys, I would say most of them up in Congress, you know, they're all talking about, oh, we're not going to we're not going to increase the debt limit. You know, we're going to break, you know, and they're doing one one and two percent of stuff. You know, they're, they're not cutting, but they're talking right, like, right. They're, they're talking like they're all bad and, and they're not bad at all. <laughs> they're, they're not even you know, they're not they're not scary at all. You know, uh, and so this guy, I was at a, a Reagan dinner just last weekend with with the incumbent and, and a number of other people and they're giving their little speeches. And this guy almost got got applause from the people. It's a conservative Tea Party style audience. And he said, 
we are not going to raise the debt limit. And it sounded like he was done and people were getting ready to start clapping. And then he said, unless we get some really good concessions. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> and, nobody, no. and nobody clapped. And anybody who had their hands getting ready to clap, they put their hands down. It was oh, just so insane. So, you know, I mean, I think people are receptive to uh, a far more uh, radical and critical take on, uh, you know, on, on the government. And it doesn't matter if it's you know, the conservative needs to go you know, to the anarchist side. The, the liberals, I don't know, you know, if they're progressives, we don't have too many here, but you know, the progressives that are out there who think government can do things for people and do it better and more honestly, you know, they need to get over it. Yeah. Well, you know, the government is so huge now that it's like the only tool in the social toolbox is a hammer. And of course, as you know, when you, all you have is yes. hammers, everything looks like a nail. That's so nobody exactly. can think of solutions that don't involve, right? They're talking in, in, in Japan now about nationalizing the uh, nuclear reactors as if the government didn't have massive care, custody, control, and subsidization and regulation of these things all along. It's like, well, yeah. we have this government, so if we have a problem we can't figure out how to solve, we'll just throw it over the fence into the big government pit and it'll, we'll call it solved and walk away. And wow. So uh, uh, when do you, are you, have you started now? Are you in the process of, of starting this? We haven't, uh, we haven't formally announced, but it's, it's uh, you know, yeah, we're going to do it. It's in a, it's ex we call it exploratory right now, but um, we have they're they're redoing the district, just minor little uh, movements of the district, and I, and we're going to announce as soon as the district is. The, my the opponent, we already told all the Republicans, or at least the few that we've talked to in far, in terms of the Republican organization. So he already knows he's going to have a Republican challenger. Well, I'm calling. I mean, I don't know if they're going to make me join the party. I'll pay twenty five dollars if I have to. But well, if, you know, if you're interested, I, I've always been really fascinated to follow a political campaign. I missed Adam Kokesh's one. And um, uh, I, so if you're at all interested, I'd love to get updates on how things are going. Okay, I mean, sure. I'm not a fan of political action, but I'm always <laughs> a big fan. Not that you should care what I think. I mean, it's your conscience you got to follow. But I'm a big fan of people doing what they believe to be the very best to the max and then finding out if it works or not. So yeah, if you're going to yeah. do it, I'd love well, to hear more about uh, this uh, as sure, it goes well, forward. I'll, I'll keep you in touch with it. We have a, there's a Facebook page and, um, oh, yeah. So, so just before we end, I want to make sure that people get your vital statistics about, you know, where you're, uh, of course you have uh, fantastic articles, uh, on lourockwell.com that I highly recommend. Very, very erudite. I mean, your writing style is, is I think <laughs> very, very, is very good. Oh. And I really appreciate that. Um, so if, if you have Facebook pages or other things, just make sure, cause a lot of people will end up listening to this. I want to make sure uh -huh. that people can, can, can find what it is that you're doing for for liberty okay yeah i well I, can i email you those things and you'll have oh yeah yeah i'll tack them on to the end no problem okay. at all. no problem yeah I'll, I'll email them too because i don't the, i know the the lou rockwell archives is everything that i've that i write or or say and it's not i don't go out and do very many talks or anything but most everything that i have written down uh lou has it i i he has it in the archives so that's like the central place to go i don't have my own blog or anything like that um, uh, right, right. I'm not, no, that's that's wise. I mean, he's a he's a, a clearinghouse of yeah. thinking people. But you may want to think of doing stuff like Porkfest and Libertopia. I mean, certainly. I know. I heard I heard an ad for that yesterday on Freedom's Phoenix and um uh, about the Porkfest. It sounds like amazing. You're going to be there, and uh, there's a whole bunch of other people. It sounds really good. Yeah, it's really really worthwhile. And Libertopia, I'll be emceeing that later this year. That's also a really enjoyable venue. Yeah, when when it, uh, where is it again? I'm sorry. Uh, Libertopia is in San Diego in October, I think. Okay. Uh, and, just double check that. And Porkfest is in uh, New Hampshire in uh, June, I think. In uh, June. So. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll have to um, check and see because uh, 
Well, if you're going to be running, I mean, you'll either be a good public speaker by then, if you're not already, or you will be, uh, or you'll need to become better, uh, which yeah, is that's a good right. thing. I think good. everyone who's in the Liberty Movement should practice public speaking. It certainly didn't yeah. come naturally to me, but it is something that is well oh, worth you're great uh, working at it. I can't, believe, I can't believe you say it doesn't come naturally. Oh, you wouldn't believe how much rehearsal goes into those. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's oh ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so freestateproject.org forward slash festival is okay. for uh, Porkfest. And uh, I wish that they didn't have that name because it really sounds like Pork a porn Fest. convention. Yeah, but anyway, uh, that's the name. Uh, and that's well worth it. And yeah, Libertopia is in uh, October in San Diego and libertopia.org. You can check those out. Look, okay. I mean, shoot, shoot them an email. I'm sure that they'd be happy to have you come and speak. Uh, and I'm sure you'd have some yeah, great stuff to talk about. Yeah, that would, that would be really good. And you know, there's so much going on um, out in the people are, I mean, now's the time for libertarians of every stripe, I think, to, to be articulating um, you know, what oh, they I've spent eat. 25 years waiting for this moment to arrive where <laughs> exactly. there's enough uh, there's enough rocket under the uh, there's enough fuel in the rocket that we could actually clear the horizon. I think it's right Thanks. right up uh, is right is that now is the time now is the time yeah. people are actually uh, with us whether they like it or not because the facts right. are so overwhelming. Right. And and I think I think that it, it our philosophy makes the most logical sense of any you know the, the fundamentally free market type stuff makes sense. People making choices you know, uh, uh, and taking responsibility for that makes sense. All these things make sense. And, and government does not make sense. And people are realizing it makes no sense. And so they're saying, well, what does make sense? And so then the libertarians should be raising their hands, you know, and, and, and the anarchists and it all of like, the folks. You know what you do with 90% of your day when nobody has a gun to your head? That's what makes sense. You know how you get to choose your own job and your own husband, your own wife, and whether you have kids and how many to have? All of that stuff is without government coercion. That stuff works. That stuff makes sense. You know, your your career, your education, all of that you choose. Let's just, you know, go that 10% further and, and then that, all of that stuff will work well. But yeah, it's a hard thing for people to understand because... And, and, I, th and I think like, like you're saying that with those examples, people, if you can put it in that way, people can understand understand yes they're already living in these ways as a as in in a, in a form of liberty they get confidence that they can do the other 10 percent because a lot of people are really scared that they can't oh my gosh you know what would we do we couldn't we oh yeah well without the government everyone thinks that you know mohawked tattooed lunatics are going to ride up with shotguns and flaming motorcycles and you know we're all going to be dumped into a bad mad max movie uh, <laughs> that's all nonsense i mean the vast majority of people would be very peaceful without the government it is only the fact that the government abstracts violence away from individuals that makes it so palatable if everybody uh, wanted to to do violence, we wouldn't need a government. The fact is people hate violence and that's why that's exactly. they want it far, far away from them. They just want the, the gold to tumble down uh, really? from the, uh, the hangman's noose. Yeah, it's so true. And you know how they, how the, the, the whole selling point of these wars is that, you know, people love, uh, people love democracy. They, they don't really love democracy, but they do love a lack of violence in their life. <laughs> you know, yes, they do love yes. peace. People do love peace. And, um, the form of government that you have is, is that's, that, you know, that's cosmetic, really. They, they want peace. And uh, they want they want free choice. They won't be able to marry who they want to marry. They won't be able to do, you know, make decisions and follow through on them um, in a peaceful, happy way in a community that is also, you know, that behaves peacefully towards them and that they're a part of, you know, I mean, it's. It's and only real freedom can deliver that in any sustainable right. way. People that's can have that for a little while, as we saw with the beginning of the Republic. Certain sections of the population lived very free. Yeah. Uh, and it, you can have it for a while, uh, but, uh, you know, government is like smoking. It's fun in the short run, but it uh, it gets pretty ugly in the long run. That's right. Oh, I will say, we had a we have a guy in uh, Virginia here, our attorney general. His, his name is Cuccinelli, and he's 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 got some national press because he, he did a lawsuit against the Obamacare thing or whatnot. But he was, uh, and he's had some success. But anyway, he had an analogy. He also talked about Hayek at this at this birthday dinner. Ooh. 
which I thought I was, I almost fell out of my chair. Um, and he, and he said everyone should read the road to serve and whatnot. So that was a good step in the right direction. He needs to go farther, but it's a step in the right direction for sure. But he also said, uh, and I had, I think I've probably seen this before, but I never seen a Republican politician or any, any politician give this analogy, but he, he used his hands and he said, think of government and, um, private individuals, freedom or whatnot as a pie. And it's a pie with only two pieces. And if the government piece is large then the individual's piece is small if the individual's piece is small the government's piece is small is is uh, if the individual's piece is large the government's piece is small but there's no more pieces it is it's a zero-sum game there's one pie it's got two pieces and if you think of it that way you'll understand the proper role um and you know what's so great about that is in my experience the very best metaphors are always the ones that make me the hungriest and now <laughs> all i'm thinking about is a nice piece of bumbleberry pie <laughs> That's right. That's right. And Gotta think, slice me off some freedom. That's right. And you know, we could we could take this analogy and it could be on, you know, when people have pie, they can educate their children and their family members and their and your sister in law. <laughs> right, right, right. The, you know, it's it's um, but no, he he gave that out there and of course I think uh there were a lot of tea party crowd in there, so they were pretty well received. But um most of the big parties, you know, benefit from big government and that's why we that's why we have it. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, Karen, I really do appreciate your time. It was a very, very enjoyable conversation. Congratulations on a truly an amazing, amazing awakening. I know that sounds all kinds of pat-pat you on the head, but and I mean that with all due respect. I mean, you, you had a, a huge amount of hurdles to overcome, particularly with your, your family, uh, who perhaps served in a more honorable time than, than now. And so I think just uh, it's really, really uh, an incredible testament to your integrity, curiosity, and uh, intellect that you've managed to come such a journey. Uh, yeah. That's really amazing. I had far fewer struggles than I'm sure I had far more self-pity about it. And uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really, really inspiring. And I thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. It was great talking to you. And I, I just, it's an honor for me when I look at your body of work and the things you're doing. So, um, and maybe I can, you know, talk to you again sometime too. Cause I, oh, absolutely. I'm Welcome back anytime. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Karen. For more information, you can go to ftrurl.com forward slash Karen.